Hey everybody, welcome to This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw, your founder, your co-host, the one with whom up which you put every week as we bring to you this wonderful program wherein we interview people or discuss the uh, news of the day as it uh, pertains to Latter-day Saints. Who better to bring in then than he who interviews greater than I, Kurt Frankham of Leading Saints. Hello, my friend. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm finally off twin probation. I've uh, been back, accepted into the circle of love. So, no? It's a new year. It's a new day. It's a new you. (laughs) Repentance is real. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Is it? I don't know. Not based on the discussion we were having right before we started rolling. It follows you around. Is it real? Uh, It's real. real. Don't worry about that, everybody. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to join us, everybody. Uh, Please, please, you know, follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Go to thisweekinmormons.com when you can hear this episode. And I always put a plea out there. If you haven't subscribed to the show, wherever you're getting your podcasts, please subscribe to the show. Take the time to do that and take the time to leave us a review. We would love it if you would leave us a review. Do you think reviews really work, Jeff? I mean, do they do do something? If a show is well-reviewed and consistently gets reviews, it ranks higher in algorithms, particularly in Apple Podcasts. I'm not sure how Spotify does it, but or Spotify even allows you to leave reviews. I think you can just like thumbs up stuff. If you're listening on Spotify, thumbs up the episode. That'd be great. So please do that. And uh, I don't know if you can leave reviews on Google Podcasts, can you? I don't use that Google. I think that you know Stitcher. You got the uh, SoundCloud. Stitcher, you can leave I don't reviews. know. But if yeah. you're a Stitcher listener, leave us a review. You used to be able to leave reviews when it was through um, Google Play, the podcast portal there. But then they got rid of that, and now I just have Google Podcasts. Whatever, wherever you get, listen to the two podcast professionals. Not aware of how you how this works. <laughs> Right. I think it's uh, anyway. I'm looking up my review. I probably wrote it like four years ago. I wonder what I said. Twim? So, yeah. You probably wrote so. a twim review like seven years ago. <laughs> it's probably been longer than that. All right. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, so if you could do that, folks, that would be that'd be just peachy keen. We would love that for you. And of course, I'm going to put the plug out to all of our wonderful Patreon supporters. I intended to read your names on the show this week, but I forgot to log in and look them up. How many, so, yeah, like four or five hundred now, Jeff. I wish, if only. Try to try to divide that number by four or five hundred. You'll get there, and you will You'll get, get to. Uh, let's look at my relationship manager. I want I want to give some shout outs to the good people: Robert Casey, Corey Ward, Laura Wolford, Chris West, Anson Fillerup, Holly Cassos, Robert Gibbons, Taffy. Someone just named Taffy. Hey, that was my dog's name. No offense, Taffy, but also just really Sam was. and Michelle, Nadine, Tanya. Adria, Trevor, Steve, Dan, Sandy, Lindsay, Robert, Sharon, Chris, Mary, Eric, Phil. Can I keep going higher? Liz, Simon, Joe. You're just reading from the phone book as if those still exist. Byron, Jeremiah. Oh, there's one right there. And of course, Leading Saints right there. One of our oldest patrons. That's right, man. I was there from the beginning. I laid the foundation of this organization. Hey, payment structure. If you want to hear me read your name in a squeaky tone, I would be happy to do that. So please follow us, patreon.com slash This Week in Mormons. You know, two bucks a month. It'll be great. It'll make me happy. It'll make my kids happy. And my kids are great. That's what you want to know. All right, Jeff. I found my Anywho, review. Uh, I found my review. It says, oh. and, and I apologize for the term I use in this title, but uh, hey, it's the name of the podcast. Every Mormon has a duty to listen. <laughs> That's the title. Every Mormon has a duty to listen. This was July 26, 2014. And I say, great weekly podcast to keep one up to date on all things Mormon. 
Jeff and, Al, Jeff and Al have a fun, lighthearted perspective on the topics they review while also adding commentary that is very thoughtful and objective. I highly recommend this podcast. So that review is quite outdated. I'll have to update that, Jeff. So since who's this Al yeah, character anyways? And what and who and how are we objective? No, well, I mean, come on. Yeah, that's this that's entire show is subjective. And it's even through fun, my lens and lighthearted. I mean, these where has the show landed today? It is. It's none of those things anymore. It's just, it's just a very serious discussion about the salient issues of the day. But I gave you five stars and that's really what, what matters. So there you have it. See? I appreciate that. I'm What's also currently life, enjoying Jeff? internet supplied to you in, in South. Well, I'm enjoying your internet in Southeastern Idaho. Um, that Uh-oh. seems to be giving you a good connection right now, no. which is exciting. No. And <laughs> this is why we do Zencast. You better have gigabit at the new house, man. You better have gigabit at the new house. They got fiber. And uh, my, my, there we go. Anyways, my life's good. Stuff's fine. You know, we're just hanging out. Uh, Living the dream here in D.C., snowstorms, but I never like to complain about snow when most of our listeners come from the Wasatch Front because, like, you guys get actual snow there. We get some snow. Otherwise, it's Valentine's Day. My kids are so excited. Who doesn't love Valentine's Day? They just get, they just, today, today, they, their, their aunt sent them some hearts and inside were sweet tarts, if I'm not mistaken, or they put sweet tarts in them. Whatever they were doing, I caught them before lunch, just opened them up, and they were just licking each one. To see what the flavor was like, and then putting them back. This is my five and a half year old and my three year old. Very practical. Just licking them, and because I looked, I was like, "What are you doing?" And like, we're just we're licking them, Dad. We're just licking them and just seeing how they are. I was, it's like there we go. That's During how a it's pandemic, be. nonetheless, we're we're a bit more During, sensitive. They're they're not giving them to someone else, but either way, right, I'm right. just like that's just going to be a big st- <laughs> sticky mess later on. Kids, ah, kids are wonderful. Uh, how, how's the life out there, my friend? What's going on with you? We're good. I'm currently homeless, but in a good way. Uh, we are in Blackfoot, Idaho with my in Homeless. Homeless. Right? Sing it, Jeff. Sorry. Sing it. <laughs> around, that, around that fire barrel. Um, and uh, we're, we're getting ready to move to Stansbury Park. Let's hear it for Stansbury Park. Who are you out there? Yep. All, all two of you. All one of you. Um, we're going to Stansbury Your Park. Waste repository. <laughs> right i'm gonna grow a third eye and uh but our home's not done yet so it's about a week out and so we're just sort of buying some time with the in-laws and we may pick up an airbnb but uh you know we just we just work from anywhere and uh keep it going so that's my life am i like super oh what on fun i believe now I- you're a little delayed on my end i don't know how this is all going to shake out when i put it together i've never oh, had boy. this much of a problem with this software. Do you want me to start hurt. recording on, on my own end here? Or I don't know. I don't know. This is what y'all get to enjoy, everybody, because Kurt showed me on a map where he is when he's at his in-law's house. And it is yeah. if there is a grid, it is not close to it. It is uh it is well it is deep it's in the typically Pingree, Idaho. And uh but uh yeah, there's there's internet out here, sort of. So <laughs> DSL, I imagine. Anyway, so life's good. We're just hanging out. We've got a there's there's interesting Latter Day Saint news this week. Rant, some you know bigger things, some smaller. Like any typical week, I don't even know where I want to start this week. I mean, there's a. I actually don't. I don't know. Usually, I have an idea what I want to lead off with any week, but I don't have one this week. So I'm going to go with any mini miny mo any mini miny mo. Let's talk about the the annex 
to the Tokyo Japan Temple, everyone. Yes, that is what we're leading off with this week. On Sunday, January 10th, actually, this happened a few almost a month ago, the annex building next to the Tokyo Japan Temple was dedicated for use by the members of the church. Um, if you're not familiar with the Tokyo Temple, it's not a multi-use urban one like Hong Kong or like Manhattan or anything like that, but it's in a tight area in the middle of Tokyo. And so they took the lot next door and they built an annex onto it, uh, which will house... All sorts of things, uh, two steak suites, you know, full meeting house, uh, area offices, two mission offices, a visitor center, patron housing, a family history center, underground parking for 100 vehicles, all this kind of stuff. So they have dedicated the annex, but due to COVID, the temple itself is still closed. So the actual rededication of the temple is uh, is not done. But I guess obviously since maybe they can meet for church, so obviously they want to use the meeting house. But this is cool. This essentially doubles the footprint of the larger uh, temple facility. So this was, uh, I mean, this was like a full-fledged remodel of the temple where they would add on this annex. Is that what the original plan was? They added on the annex, but obviously this is an annex. This is a bit different because a lot of the time there's an annex, like take, uh, you know, St. George is under construction again right now, and it has an annex, as does Manti and most of the old pioneer temples. But in those cases, the annexes are very clearly a part of the temple and only the temple, Right. right? Like when you go to the Salt Lake Temple, that annex... Well, it'll be different when they're done, you know, in a couple of years, but um, it's part of the temple. In this case, it's an annex, but as far as I can tell, it's more about, uh, you know, ancillary church needs next to the temple. As far as I can tell, I don't know if there's any actual part of it that it's expanding the temple itself, even though it's an annex building next to the temple. So I don't know if it's technically a temple annex as much as it is a... a yeah, a, a and, I'm, and I'm sure there in uh, you know, Japan, you're trying to you're trying to leverage uh, real estate, right? And so finding multi-purpose and for for the building is probably a positive thing that's going to help the church. One would hope. I mean, I don't know who's to say, but uh, it's good for the saints in Japan. If only they could get their temple back. We did see that there's some more temples being added to the phase three list, though, as of this week. Uh, which is excellent. Most of them are in Latin America, but that'll that's six new temples that'll work their way to phase three, which would bring us up to, I think, 10 total um, around the world. Slow going on that. Phase three, as a reminder, means all, all ordinances are available, um, including proxy ordinances once more. It's a big thing. Phase one and two are living ordinances only. Phase three goes opens up for proxy ordinances, still with some restrictions. Phase four would assume the temple is just back up and running, you know, like, like it was before COVID. Uh, no temple is at phase four. Who knows when we will be, but, uh, I think I hear children in the background, Kurt. That's right. Uh, oh, there they are. But I heard them. They just yelled, Shelly, Idaho. (laughs) No, we're not quite Shelly. Not quite Shelly. Uh, so Jeff, there, uh, sister Bingham, president Bingham, better said is, uh, the Gene B as she's known. The Gene B, is that the the internet hashtag for? Is that her handle? Um, I actually saw her on Facebook. This Facebook recommended I friend her today because we have five mutual friends. And uh, I did not friend her. So did you do it? No, I, I doubt she's actually checking that. But I, it did make bring a thought like, like pe- someone could just <laughs> DM her, right, with ideas and thoughts. I mean, I doubt that she has those notifications turned on. But uh, we're, we're so close to the... Her- leadership of the church so this should be what you do man this is this is your end i know right anyways sister bingham uh, president bingham urges seminaries and institute teachers to provide students with spiritual meat and uh, i guess there's this uh i mean these are i don't know if these are yearly trainings that the 
church education system puts on from uh, some of our general auxiliary leaders and, and general authorities. But, uh, you know, she talked about just uh, providing students with spiritual meat, you know, some the good stuff, not just the superficial, you know, faith lessons or prayer lessons. The good, yeah. Really get into it, right? And uh, and this reminds me of the talk a few years ago. But you're that supposed to they, eat meat sparingly. <laughs> this this uh, metaphor is not working well for, Come on. for her. Um, Make it, and, she should earn spiritual grain. And, uh, but anyways, it reminds me of the, uh, the president, president Ballard talk, you know, gone are the days where we tell students to, you just bear a simple testimony or whatever the quote is. And, uh, it seems like this is more and more of right. a focus of giving spiritual meat. And I don't know, I'm not obviously not attending Institute, uh, but I, I'd be wonder, I wonder how much progress we've made on that front, you know? I don't know. I mean, is there a way to measure that? Are they measuring that? You're more tapped into some of that that side of things, Kurt. You might have have something in terms of knowledge, but uh, yeah. I well, I mean, I think it's uh, it's interesting just to consider. Um, you know, there's this feeling that you know they call them the nuns, right? The people in the world who are claiming no religion that 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 group is growing more and more, and especially or even in our religious yeah. community. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if providing the meat, you know, I'd hope it seems to make sense if they provided more meat and got into the, the, the pure, deeper doctrines and just laid it out there for, you know, that it would uh, benefit the, the students going through there. But anyways, it's good times. Uh, I want to know who the, who the heck is Marco Louie? Who is this? Who is this person? KSL.com, carrying a story. Beloved Italian Latter-day Saint entertainer releases book about the Bible. Uh, there, uh, Okay. Uh, he's published his fifth book, The Bible According to Him, Some Keys to Understanding the Scriptures. I mean, it's according to him. At least he says it's according to him. How much would I love it if it was like, if you bought a book from, you know, Elder Christofferson and it was just like, The Bible According to Me. Listen, from the man who was at Watergate. So uh, there's he's got a book. It's for kids, and uh, the thing I don't really understand is who is this person who is beloved, and in, in which circle is he beloved? beloved. I've never heard of him before. You know he's I, beloved I, to God, Jeff. I'm glad he's. Uh, I'm glad he feels it is his calling to explain things well and to provide outlets for learning for the young and old, and be able to talk about the things of the scriptures. That's very important. He looks like a institute uh, teacher that's gone rogue. <laughs> I like the the picture halfway down the article of him with kids. This is kind of President Nelson esque, like when you had that that video of President Nelson sitting around while the primary children sang to him. He's like he's pointing at something in a book. Yeah, I mean, is, he, is this guy like Mr. Bean? What's he across of here? I'm trying to figure out what his deal is uh, because apparently he was a born entertainer. Does he have According a YouTube channel, author, Jeff? Can we see some know, clips not, of his stand up? I don't. I'm. Do I want to put myself through that? And is it stand up? <laughs> this I, is what we pay you I'm to just, do, Jeff. I'm just what to actually do the research. I'm just fascinated by who on earth he is. Well, he does have a page. Let's see here. Problem is, I can only hear it through my other speakers. He has 7,000 subscribers. All right. There you go. Like, we have more subscribers than that, and we barely do anything on YouTube. Come on, Marco. We need. Whereas, to, I I think he's a cross between Mr. Bean and Blippy. 
That's what I'm getting right now, Kurt. If you're familiar, you are familiar with Blippy, Kurt. Blippy, I'm not. I I can't say I'm Mr. Bean for sure. Oh, well, there there must be a beatitude for you then. You know, blessed are those who are ignorant of Blippy. Um, Blippy is a children's entertainer who's very very good at SEO. Uh, my kids discovered him, I think, either on YouTube or through like the on the Amazon free time kind of thing. It's 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 perfectly harmless. Blippy makes me want to punch a bunny, though. Blip, I just he's burns some brain cells. It's you should look up Blippy. B l i p p i. He makes sure you know because he's a genius. At the end of every video, he says, "Make sure to find me. Find by typing my name. B l i p p i." So like my kid oh, walks around yeah. and says like Blippy. B l i p p i. Like he knows. I've he's seen this it. on my son's screen time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 4.8 million views. Well, he's Blippy's huge. Brother Louie has a ways to go, but he'll get there. Brother Louie. Let's see. I'm watching a little right now. I'm not entertained right now. You're, <laughs> I don't hear chuckles, Jeff. He's, and he's speaking Italian, the language that never wins a war. Come on. What is this? Oh, uh, whatever. Anyway, that's a thing. If I, it's good to know that people are, are. I feel like I'm as much of a comedian as he is. So maybe I should write a book. I should write a book, Kurt. I should write a book. I have no idea though. You should. You, I think you should write a book. You should write a book. You have good ideas. You should do that. right. Well, hey, that that uh, you're you're spoiling, Jeff. I've written a manuscript, and you've read that manuscript, and you gave me very constructive feedback, which I very much appreciate. So. I um I wasn't gonna like out you about it like genuinely, but having read the book you're working on, I think it's a good subject area, and I've enjoyed what you've done, and I look forward to seeing how it evolves and eventually uh, comes to full light. And Sherry Dew gives it her blessing, whatever that that weird that procedure is when you show up at Deseret Book HQ and she opens the book and nods her head a few times and waves some incense and the book is therefore blessed. Yeah. And it goes on the shelf, the shelf. Desert book, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, and then that's, there's a ceremony when they add it to the end cap. <laughs> yeah. And then they give me uh 1% royalties and we all go home happy. Right. I, I, I wouldn't complain about that. Oh, come on. You got to negotiate for 2%. Anyway, but Kurt, you don't have a book coming. I don't know when you're planning on actually publishing it, but I think I'm hoping by the summer, but good. We'll it's see. good. It's we'll good. See. Everyone I, keep an eye out for that. I, I think demand a twin episode about it. I want a deep, lengthy interview as if I write romance novels, which you have history of doing, Jeff. So I think you should you should try to write a romance novel. We should write one together and then have Soraya just offer her notes on our romance novel. Right. We, or we could crowd crowdsource a romance novel, right? We just get a bunch of people in Twim world and and get some ideas going. You know, let's just call it that's just called Mad Libs, basically, and I think we could make that work too. It's not a bad idea. I should be so, Jeff. Author. Tell me, well, educate your anyway, audience Kurt. here. Yeah what what do you know? How would you explain if somebody had no clue what Desnat is? How would you explain Desnat to a layperson on Twitter? Okay, to a a if if I want to work under the assumption people know at least a little bit about church history because what I want to call it is a modern day equivalent to Danites. That's the first thing I see easily. But if you're not familiar with who the Danites were, they were sort of Latter-day Saint vigilantes in the Missouri era who did not only act defensively, but sometimes acted offensively against some of our uh, not as fun neighbors at the time. And uh, that's an interesting period of our history. You know, there was, there was some aggression. I see. So the same idea I see with Desnat, it's a, uh, a group of people who hashtag Desnat, but ostensibly it's about like, you know, protecting the faith 
and keeping the faith alive in the church. But it's inevitably, I feel like it's been intertwined with like far right radicalism, even if maybe that's not totally the case, but I think that's the connotation. Yeah, it's definitely had a more uh, political flavor uh, as of late, but the the Solly Tribune did uh, Peggy Fletcher Stack, one of our one of our favorites, did an article called "Unholy War Is Desnat an Online Platform for Defending the LDS Church or a Launching Pad for Extremism?" And I didn't read the article, but I listened to the episode that uh, Peggy did on her podcast. I don't know if Jeff wants me to mention that podcast, but uh, I listened there, and uh, it was really. You mean the one where they said where they put. Sorry, I get very bothered because they make posts that say "This week in Mormon Land," and I'm like, "Dude, that's really close to my eye." Oh, yeah. Come on, Peggy. <laughs> Cease and desist, Jeff. Do it. Do it. Maybe that'll get <laughs> Sending her. Sending it. I guess. <laughs> uh, if anyone wants uh, to do some pro bono work for me, please go ahead. <laughs> so they interviewed someone who's done some lengthy research on just the whole Desnat. I don't know if you call them a movement or the hashtag or what, but uh, I found it quite fascinating. Just the different uh, angles and understanding of it where, you know, I'm a very uh, lax Twitter user. And so I see this, uh, you know, you'll see this hashtag going around and you're thinking, what is that? And then you'll find stuff that's like almost insulting and other stuff that's like, oh, okay, uh, I don't know about that. But anyways, probably if you don't know fully what Desnat is, or I just, just don't use the hashtag, it'll probably be best for you. But um, anyways, worth checking There's out. There's some just pretty stuff this. on the, this hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take long. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that's, uh, I agree. It's, it's worth, uh, reading about and learning more about and not engaging. One thing, I wonder if this is a fair comparison. Um, cause a lot of Desnap people would, would be quick to say like, there's no movement. There's no organization to this. It's just like sort of a loose ideology and you hashtag Desnap, which is funny because honestly it's, it's very similar to Antifa. Right. If you can make a strictly political analog, a lot of people on say like, you know, Antifa did this, Antifa did that, but that's the same idea. It's a, it's a, it just means like you're anti-fascist and you might embrace this or that, but there's not an organization around yeah. it. There's not like a uh, board of directors that are saying, okay, here's our, here's our uh, next quarterly plan and the direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so does not sort of functions in a similar capacity. It's almost just like a vague ideology, but I think it's been co-opted by a lot of more radical uh, members of our faith. And so don't, like Kurt said, don't hashtag it because you think you're like, yeah, Zion! Like you're yeah, yeah it's not something great. Because I've seen that. It's like, man, I read my scriptures today. Death nat! And, <laughs> Somebody's aunt is like, here's a nice quote from Jesus and hashtag Desnat, right? It's like, that won't They're going to find stuff that's going to be like, why do we allow non-white people at BYU? And they're completely serious. <laughs> Desnat. <laughs> you, you know, so... Uh, have fun with that. It is, but like I said, good worthwhile. I don't think a lot of people are going deep on Desnat. Um, so good on the. Yeah, I know we like to. Kurt likes to dunk on the trib sometimes, oh, yeah. but I could not. D- Deseret News, I don't think would bother writing this article <laughs> or publishing this podcast. So yeah. worth exploring in that sense, especially because of the Des uh, part of it, which right. makes things complicated. <laughs> yeah, <they> make- <laughs> uh, here's another thing, sort of, sort of political again. Uh, article here out of the good old Daily Universe at my alma mater, BYU. A BYU sociology professor shows educated members of the church are leaning more democratic, allegedly. Now, this is not to say they're becoming Democrats or the Democrats are taking over the ranks of the church or anything like unto that, but more that uh, in highly populated areas, highly populated with church members who are more educated, the data seems to show a blue tilt, a blue shift a little bit in that capacity, which is not completely surprising. 
I do kind of laugh that there's the first screenshot says that BYU sociology professor Jacob Ruge uh, uses a map to demonstrate how voters candidates of choice coincide with their education levels. And then he's got a map that shows each one. And there's like no correlation whatsoever between these two visuals, like at all. Like there's no data on education for Summit County and Summit County is the bluest part of Utah. So I don't, just made me laugh. I'm missing something visually, but I see like, I see a whole lot of um, like, let's see. I see a whole lot of higher education in what seems to be Mapleton, maybe-ish, what it looks like, Springville area, but that's very, very red. So I don't really get it exactly. I don't think it's a perfect slam dunk, but I could obviously see how this would be the case. I mean, and that's a lot of time, a lot of the time, not all the time, more educated voters tilt left uh, in many areas, but maybe that's finally kind of hitting Utah. But it's worth reading this just to get some of the data and see where this is coming from and see if this does represent any kind of a shift somewhere like Utah, which frankly could just be more fun if it's more pluralistic in elections. I think it's good for all states. I think every state should be a swing state. That'd be great. And if you know the history of our church, uh, it was more balanced back in the day between members who were Democrats and Republicans. We just sort of did all sorts of things. And then uh, thanks to many people, not least of whom was Ezra Taft Benson. Uh, If you want to hear a great podcast, look for Ezra Taft Benson and the rise of modern Mormonism. No, that's David O. McCain, The Rise of Modern Mormonism. Ezra Taft Benson. But look for Ezra Taft Benson. We have a great interview with Professor Matt Harris about sort of the rise of far-right extremism within the church and his role in that. Um, And Kurt, I'm not calling you a far-right extremist by any means, but I do think, but there's kind of a point when things started tilting more more to the lurching towards the right. Uh, And that was very interesting. So this this podcast is an example. You're obviously smarter than me, and therefore, that's why you lean more Democrat. Obviously not objective in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but I'm curious, Jeff, like, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, it'd be great if every state was a swing state, which would be good. But to me, it's like, uh, like, is that more of an indictment on the two-party system or on the people, right? Because I think if you lined, like, if you- It's a lot it's of somehow, things. Somehow- Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of things. And that's where I look at these articles, and I'm like, okay, this is great. Like, but is it helpful? Like, are we adding anything to, especially in a polarized- state where a lot of people are at like both sides are one side's going to be offended by this the other side's going to like uh you know be propped yeah. up by it i don't know like uh where i feel like if you took if there's some way to measure everybody generally where they rank it's every state is a is a uh swing state but we generally just have a two-party system so it's it it's harder to get there right because it's so polarized i don't know yeah, in many cases, and I've thought a lot about. I don't have any data to back any of this up about what we could do to like break the two party system to at least mix it up a little bit, you know. And a lot of people would point to like libertarians, you know, why can't they get more traction? And so I'm not sure. Is it because third parties just simply don't have a message that's as appealing for a wider number of people, or is it because the Democratic and Republican parties wield so much power that they they go well out of their way to tamp down? any any rising third parties, which I mean, they do to an extent. So I don't know which one it is because it's very easy to say like, look, if there was a movement that had the appeal, and, and frankly, again, we don't want to get too political here. You could very much argue that the Trump movement is not really a conservative movement. It's sort of this interesting hybrid of some conservative elements, but a lot of populist rhetoric, even a lot of policy areas that were borrowed from Democrats. And it sort of evolved into its own thing. It carried an R for the sake of just elections, really, next to his name, honestly, just to like for the sake of running for office. It's the same thing Bernie Sanders does. Bernie Sanders is an independent, but he becomes a Democrat when he wants to run for president, you know? So um, 
you could almost argue in many ways that what Trump is as his version of the Republican Party is almost like a third party. It's just so happened that it's kind of co-opted the rest of the Republican Party. And then the outliers in the Republican Party are like Mitt Romney, who are the traditional just business and deregulation Republicans. Um, and you're seeing that issue, of course, even now in the Republican Party. There's a big schism in all of it. But in many ways, that's like two different parties. And in a lot of other countries, those would be separate parties if we had a parliamentary system or something similar uh, in the US. You know, that would be if we had, it would be very different if we had a different system. You'd have like the Green Party would have seats in Congress. You'd have whatever's going on between the Trump party. It'd be like literally like the Trump party and the Republican party would have seats and it'd be different. I think that could be healthier in some ways. I think we just need to do um, ranked choice voting. That would be the nice thing that I think yeah, would Yeah, I'd go for that, out. Jeff. Ranked choice voting could, I think, bring a lot uh, more uh, equitable uh, voting to our country. Yeah, so, yeah and you wouldn't be- feel like you'd have to you know, sort of sell out some values just because, well, this guy's got a better chance or whatever, right? You could, yeah, I don't know, yeah. make for better discussions and debate for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Jenna Reese at, uh, on religious news service, I, I can't love her, um, so much, right? Uh, she says, uh, Mormon leaders, this is the title of her article, Mormon leaders and the erosion of traditional power. And th- this article basically touches on the whole dynamic we're seeing with, uh, you know, as far as how members, how, how committed members are or perceived to be committed to following the prophet, right? Uh, there's been, and she even mentions it here, like the, I don't know how, I don't want to categorize uh, people wrong, but those maybe more progressive Mormons have had a history of kind of second guessing or criticizing some general direction from yeah, the leaders yeah. at the church. And, and, and she says that she says liberals, have, she, she says for decades, liberals. liberals have like, you know, even, even had resistance to church leadership. But like you're saying, now we're seeing another side of it. That's also resisting church. Yeah. And, you know, I've had the right. thought, Jeff, and, and I appreciate this article, just the, the stimulating the, this, this dynamic, because this, uh, this type of, uh, of leadership was more typical and common and familiar maybe in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And and now uh, people are resisting it more for one reason. And, and I don't know that. I'm just, these are just my perceptions. But um, but it's interesting to consider that, uh, you know, following the prophet, what does that mean now? And how much um, flexibility do we have on, you know, making our own decisions on certain things? And and, you know, you, you mentioned Ezra Taft Benson earlier where, you know, obviously he didn't leave much to be questioned as far as where he stood on things. And, you know, we've both read a lot of well, yeah. books. Yeah. And, and it's sort of like, sheesh, man, like, what is, <laughs> like, cool off, Elder Benson, you know, like. I'm serious. Right. But at the same time. <laughs> and they told him to cool off and he was just ignore yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, there's something, something endearing about just knowing where he stood. Right. And the fact that there were like, uh, was it Hubie Brown that sort of had more, uh, you know, I don't know what more progressive uh, ideas for the time. And, and there was mm-hmm. sort of this yeah. uh, passive aggressive yeah, debate, right? Where now, I mean, you sort of, I think Elder Brasband was, is a, is a uh, Democrat. And so you, you sort of hear that, but you never, it would, to me, it would be refreshing to, kind of know where these individuals stand, but now they really want to position themselves as one body, which makes sense, right? And and as the policy statements yeah. or things come out, it comes as one body, right? But at the same time, they release these statements, which I appreciate, but they're, they're, they're sort of, uh, they've gone through the PR machine so much that, the, you know, the 
the more progressive Latter-day Saints say, oh, you see, they're, they're, they're saying what we think. And then the more conservatives are saying, oh, you see, they're saying what more we think. Like it, it's just open for interpretation, even though they, they sound pretty straightforward. Is that, am I, what do you think about that? Am I reading that wrong or, or what are your thoughts around this matter? I, 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 the funny thing is, I think for a long time we were, I don't want to say diluting um, the potency of our messaging, but I think in our effort, especially in the 70s, 80s, 90s, to be respected as a quote unquote normal religious organization, you know, we, we, we tried to do everything we could to be very normal. Part of that, I think, yeah, of course, one thing, you know, leaders stopped being political, which is good, I think, in general. I mean, we've even seen in the time since we've been doing this podcast, literally only in the past 11 years, have general authorities become forbidden uh, to even donate to political campaigns? They were allowed to do it until sometime in the in the 2010s. Because that's is that uh, all or, public information, right? Like you can see where people have donated. Or- yeah, because political donations are completely public. Completely, you, that, you can't hide that at all. It's fun. It's actually pretty fun. Look up your candidates and just see where their money comes from. I think it's a good exercise anybody should do, just because you want to see who's really controlling people <laughs> at the end of the day. Because everyone wants something in return. Um, so I think I get where you're where you're coming from on this, Kurt. I, I think, but if anything, I feel like in the Nelson era, we've become a little more direct again. And I agree, sometimes not as much as one party or the other would like. Like it, it's so funny. Like you see President Nelson publishing that he got his vaccine for COVID, and basically saying, "What a wonderful miracle and blessing this is that we have modern science that a year from this out from this vaccine." We have, or from the outbreak, we have vaccines already. Like this is amazing. If this would have happened a hundred years ago, we'd have hundreds of millions of people, and you know, way bigger problems. And that's great. And many just, but there was a small little clause that said, you know, be prayerful and thoughtful about what is best for you. But I think it's pretty easy to read that to mean like, obviously, if you have like a history of adverse reactions to vaccines or or this or that, then maybe you don't do it. But I think broadly speaking, the message was clearly like, the vaccine is a miracle. Please seriously consider getting the vaccine. But anybody who's like an anti-vaxxer might look at it and be like, no, 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 no. The government's not tracking me. And I mean, and we've, we've talked about this on the show, but people were like, I'm really disappointed in you, President Nelson. Like it cracks me up that we've gotten to this point. And that's where she leads off in this article that we've expected one side, the liberal side of the church to be the one being like, oh, come on, come on, Elder Oaks, come on. But now you have this whole other side who's, who's just like, no, no, no. This is an affront to my religious liberty, President Nelson. I mean, I think we saw it, uh, Janner mentions it, of course, you know, when they congratulated President Biden about his victory, uh, when that finally happened, that was, the responses were ridiculous. They were ridiculous uh, on many fronts. And we saw it a couple of years ago, even when the church updated the handbook to ba- like ban firearms from meeting houses, for example. Like it's it's, and that one's a funny one because there's, it carves out the exact language, what the exceptions might be, but I think it's pretty cut and dry, and people are just like, I don't care, I'm still bring, I'm bringing my gun to church, and selective obedience is just a funny thing, right? And we're all and and I am making the assumption that more of the people who care about having their firearms might be more on the rightward side of the saints. I recognize that, knowing that I have Democrat friends who are also proud gun owners, but I'm speaking in generalities. Um, yeah, so I think it is. I just think it's very interesting. And Janice talking about like what's going to happen to power bases in this sense, the concept of power and authority over your flock, when it's basically fair game if. Anybody's going to pick it apart. And like, I love her quote here. What's at stake when Orthodox Latter-day Saints begin to see following the prophet as a matter of individual conscience on an issue by issue basis? 
And that, and if that, if that mentality grows, that becomes a major issue for maintaining control of the church and not control in a bad way. I'm saying just control of like the messaging, what we stand for as Latter-day Saints, what the standards are that we have. Like if that starts spinning out of control, it becomes unwieldy and you can't, and you can't rein in uh, certain factions. You have like a bigger issue with how do you actually preside with authority over a flock? And uh, obviously, I mean, God's in charge and I don't think he's going to let anything crazy like that. Yeah. completely happen. But that's not to say God hasn't stepped back when we have totally screwed up and removed ourselves from his blessings in the past. I mean, the scriptures are full of examples of that. And then that could very well happen. You know, we could, even though we know that the the priesthood will not be taken ever again uh, from the earth and that there will not be another apostasy or anything like that. That's not to say the church itself couldn't backslide substantially before having to write the ship once more predating the second coming, right? I mean, we would that's bad PR. We would never say that. All of our messaging is always, this is amazing. There's so many millions of us. We are growing, 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 growing. You know, it's like, it's just, it's, it's like, it's, it's kind of how it is all the time, right? Growth, 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 growth. Like, um, cons- which is great. There's no, there can't be a recession within the church, right? But uh, I think that's, that's a concern for anybody. So I've, I've, I've yeah. meandered a little bit there, but I do think it raises some interesting questions about just like power structure in the church. If even quote unquote orthodox members are willing to start just picking it apart, and be like I'm not, I'm not obeying that. Yeah, and those are the types you relied and, and on. I think this is say, follow the prophet, rain or shine. I do what he says. End of story. Right. But now, and I think this is a natural, uh, a natural result of just any growth of any organization, right? She makes the mm-hmm. the comparison to the Catholic Church, where it gets to a point where you grow so big that it's hard to really create an organization where everybody's similar, uh, you know, around the same line, right? <clears throat> where now, you know, the Pope says things, but it's not like, I think that it hits the the mass of Catholics much differently than when President Nelson says something, or there's an official uh, declaration or, or maybe declaration, or an official statement from the church, right? Um, and then she makes the comparison that we're, that maybe the, the leadership of the church is, is growing similar to just like, uh, you know, royalty that it's there and people respect it, but <clears throat> in their day-to-day lives, they sort of silently, silently dismiss it. And which is sort of sad. I mean, cause this is such, such a strong part of our tradition, but at the same time as a growing organization, it, I don't know how to get around this or without more, <laughs> uh, f- you know, more e- emphasis and push from the church, which may just push more people towards that. I don't know. Uh, one thing I've noticed, at least from my my international travels and what have you, um, a lot of members of the church abroad look to what happens within the membership in the United States with puzzlement <laughs> sometimes. Um, yeah. And I don't know if that's because even though we are a global church and I think we are diversified a lot more in upper ranks and things like that, and, that's tr- that, and that has actually, tr- I'm not much of a trickle downer, but that has trickled down. Um, you know, throughout the body of the church and, and what we do and our messaging and how we present ourselves. But at the same time, I think we're still, we still act inherently in many ways as a, a U.S. institution that is in many ways defined by a lot of the elements of American culture and politics. And so when you go abroad, a lot of members just kind of were like, what is going on? Like, they just do not understand the weird things we are like bickering about and having disagreements about in the U.S. And they're just like, guys, just like, just like, like, you know, listen to God and like, love the gospel. It's just like even little things. I mean, I, I've, I remember I was talking to some Dutch members once and they were just like, you guys get so hung up on white shirts. It's so weird to us out here. Cause in Europe, culturally, 
It's just not weird. And it wasn't weird for like women to wear pants to church in a lot of European countries either. And they're like, why is this a thing? Like, why does it? And it's just, so they, they're just, they're bewildered many times, I think, at the sort of things we're doing. And I have to wonder, I mean, you see all the saints in Africa who were the church is so new. I mean, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I feel like, gosh, it's got to be, it's got to be 60, 70% of the members at this point are like first generation <laughs> Latter-day Saints because it's growing so much. Yeah. Like, what do they think when they see the yeah. way we are yeah, being goobers it, it, about stuff? What kind of example are we setting? It seemed for so many years, we sort of wore that as a badge of honor that, you know, you can go anywhere in the church and it's so similar, but now it's sort of, uh, that's a, that's a problem towards of our growth and, and expanding. And, and that uh, part of that is the dynamic of a living prophet, which I love. And I, you know, try and follow them as closely as possible. But, uh, then when you cross cultures and man, that's a, that's a tough one, you know? It is, it is. And that's why I wonder is like, our, is, our, is the culture we're accustomed to very North American and then how do we incorporate legitimate other cult- and I've seen things they've done in the past like in some countries they've um where where worship for example in some African nations this is very broad I hate to say just African like that's a monolith I know it's not but uh where we're beat we're beating of drums and a lot of more physical activity is like a part of worship uh, natively oh, yeah. for a lot of these people and and we don't do that so how do we find the middle ground how do we find that place where we can respect the customs of other peoples but embrace the reverence and the gospel of Christ. And I've seen things as much as like, literally they'd say like, if you want to come make some noise and engage in that type of worship, like we can do a thing on, like on Wednesday nights, you can come to the church building in the cultural hall and do that. And that's fine. Um, so yeah, we got stuff to do. Uh, here's a cool article out of the church news, the role of college devotionals in relaying church leaders messages to the world. College devotionals referring to uh, the bi- typically biweekly uh, messages that happen at BYU, BYU-Idaho, BYU-Hawaii, Ensign College, and monthly for BYU Pathway. And sorry, it is weekly at these universities, but usually at BYU, wasn't it like devotional one week and forum the other week? Isn't that how they do it? Someone non-religious would come and speak. Anyway, either way, Either way, there's, of course, a lot of obvious value here. Um, you know, you're speaking to a growing, a, an evolving part of the church, college students. And it's very important that they feel loved and understood and reached appropriately and that that we are engaging in activities and policies that help them come closer to Christ and feel that there's a place for them in the church. I think that's really important. And I think that's obviously a huge reason why they do it. But some of the other things I th- that this article mentions, very short, but I like that it even mentions like this allows speakers to explore and expand on topics over 40 minutes. And I think we take that for granted. We're so used to general conference, yeah, other other appearances. It's actually infrequently that we can see people at the highest levels of the church spend close to an hour speaking at length about something. You basically have to go to, you know, have a have a a member of the 12 visiting your stake for a stake reorganization conference or something like that, where they will take a lot of time and answer questions. But outside of that, it's one of those few opportunities to do that. And uh, there's a lot of value in that. I really think we, I, I take that for granted. I mean, I can watch BYU devotionals anytime I want. They're up on the internet and like, I should look into that. Cause I mean, I know it's enough of a challenge sometimes just to review old conference talks and that's like a 12 minute commitment. <laughs> and yet, you know, it'd be even better to go over the 40 minute commitment, but it's just a good article. It's got a lot of quotes from senior leadership. Um, nothing that's, um, that you haven't thought of. I like the picture. It shows uh, president Ballard in the studio where he did a devotional. Cause every time they do those regional broadcast oh, yeah. and they're in these faux living rooms and whatnot. I'm always like, I just want to see that space. And here it actually breaks the fourth wall a little bit. So it's kind of fun to see, but uh, cool to check out. It's actually a longer article than you'd expect just speaking about their role in this. 
you know, as a, you know, I have a marketing background. So this, this topic sort of fascinates me, especially, you know, you mentioned we take for granted the concept of a 40 minute, uh, devotional or, or talk, you know, we're very accustomed to that in our, our faith tradition. And we're living in a world of, you know, the time of the influencer, right? Where well, social media, Instagram, and, and these other platforms, which make very bite-sized content. And that's sort of where the dopamine hits are. That's where people are drawn to because it's quick and easy. And I can, and, and people are engaging with these influencers here. And so obviously, the church wants to be an influencer, maybe not in the same uh, way that some of these other uh, modern day influencers are, but it makes me wonder, sometimes I wonder if we default too much to that longer form, you know, uh, the, the six month general conference long form. And that's really, I mean, you don't hear from apostles, generally speaking. I mean, maybe there's a devotional address here and there, but for six months, you don't hear from them. And sometimes even our, our the hearing from our prophet can be that that length other than maybe an article here or there or whatever. But, um, so I wonder if there, you know, I, I sometimes wish there was maybe a swing the other way of having more of that short form content creation. Typically it's done by the marketing departments in the church or, or, you know, the, the various platforms they've created, but, you know, I would love to have, you know, elder Uchtdorf pop on when he's out on a date night with his, his wife. And he's sort of done, he shared more of these type of pictures, but, like real, like in-person content, but I know the the PR nightmare that could create. But at the same time, I w- I worry that like this up and coming generation is is missing the influence that our prophets and apostles offer because they're so overwhelmed with the modern day influencer of the the bite size superficial content. You know. Yeah, uh, I think some are better at it than others. I mean, I wish they were all at that level, though, because there are at least, like you mentioned, Elder Uchtdorf. I mean, at least he's kind of a good rock star on Facebook. Like, he's out there engaging and posting stuff, and I don't see all the 12 operating at that same level. Uh, and it'd be nice if they did. I mean, I, I don't know if we're going to go as far as, you know, a, a TikTok account for Elder Bednar or anything <laughs> like that, which would be hilarious right, to but, me. Or, or, wasn't it, or stories or, from... Wasn't it President, you know. Mon- President Monson... I think the church or President Monson years ago, we I think we wrote an article about it, had a made a Snapchat account or something like that, which is like, I don't, is oh, anyone yeah. snapping anymore? I mean, TikTok's everywhere, but I hear nothing about Snapchat now. But yeah, we've got to engage at those levels. I mean, Kurt, I remember you did years ago, and I think it's an episode you did or something like that. But you talked about like a bishop to engage with the youth in this case, but the youth are oh, yeah. evolving into the college students like should absolutely be on social media platforms and like engaging with the flock. And I think you'd see the exact same thing uh, for YSA bishops. I mean, we had Richard Osler on, you know, uh, last month. And the first thing he did when he was bishop was he got on Facebook and friended kids in his ward, not to be a creeper, but just to like see what's going on in their lives. And I don't expect a member of the 12 to friend me and, and genuinely to care about what I'm posting on Facebook on a given day. But yeah, I, I think they could, they got to do more, more and more of the bite-sized stuff because I, yeah, we're not, uh, the rising generation isn't very good at long form anything. <laughs> it's a shame. Right. Then again, then again, Quibi failed. So who knows? Maybe we don't want just short bites of content. You know, I don't know, but I don't know. I don't know. That's why Twim's here to give you long form weekly news updates, right? I should turn Twim into a so, daily yeah. five minute podcast. That'd be fun. <laughs> Yeah, and you need to find a co-host for every day of the week. Imagine that nightmare. Right? I don't have I don't have that kind of time. 
No one does. I my <laughs> I basically do the show at the maximum limit I can right now. So right. there we go. So Jeff, I'm excited. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've uh, I love a good uh, mini series on like Netflix or especially if it if it involves murder for some reason. Uh, and Netflix is set to. Uh, They're great about just, that at Netflix too. They make the murderers. They meet the murderers. They do all the things. Right, but they are coming out with an exclusive docu series called "Murder Among the Mormons," and uh, it is it is uh, directed or produced by Jared Hess of Napoleon Dynamite fame and Tyler Mason, an honest yeah. liar, which I'm not familiar with. Um, so yeah, they're jumping into this. I mean, I love I love this history. Obviously, it's sort of a uh, messy part of our history as far as how it went down and how the church was involved with the Salamander letter and all these things. But I'm really intrigued. Mark, Mark Hoffman, man, yeah. Mark Hoffman, right? The the what's his name? What what bomber is he? But he's a bomber. And uh, but I'm just intrigued to see how Netflix or Jared Hess handles uh, all the twists and turns of this, you know, how much of the, the Latter-day Saint faith are and our background and, you know, how much is it going to involve there? But I believe it drops March 3rd on Netflix. And so live stream this bad boy, Jeff. It's going to be good. I love this. Just Jared Hess, you know, famous for these comedies and this and that getting into a different area, docu-series. Yeah. So it should be fun. Maybe it'll be a little funny here and there. All right. Let's go through we go through a couple of mentions here. Unfortunately, a missionary died in Haiti uh, last week. A Haitian man died while serving a mission for the church. Um, he was 24. He was from Haiti and died in Haiti. They did not disclose uh, much or that went, went down. I don't think they even said if it was or was not COVID, but he was admitted to the hospital with health complications and uh, passed away. So that's unfortunate. And we are mindful of the, the sacrifices our missionaries make to, to be in the service of the Lord. Also, an article here about what to expect from the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, known as Tabcats. You should all be saying it. That is the appropriate replacement for Motab. Expect 2021 to be a are they go. Or, I don't think they use Tabcats, but I think they're aware of Tabcats, and I think they lean into the humor of it. They're pretty good on their social media. I like the people that run the, the Tabcats social media channels. They they can roll with some of the jokes and things, which I think is good. Um, anyway, it says it's going to be a go, and then the article goes on to explain that we don't – I mean, it's – there's some euphemistic stuff here. It says like, don't expect the storied choir and the orchestra to simply go back to what they were doing before the pandemic. No, no. We are moving forward to what it should be. We don't exactly know what it should be yet because the pandemic is still restricting what a 300-member choir can actually do uh, on a regular basis. Right. But if this is a fun interview. You know, We get to talk to, of course, uh, Mac Wilberg, the director, and Ryan Murphy, the associate director slash heir apparent to the throne at some point slash guy who played the teacher on Glee. Yes, they are. Um, they're just nice enough to talk about what they're going to do and and kick things into gear. I think they do have some. They're working on some recordings, but I still do find it amusing that they can't fully commit to like what they're going to do in 2021 because of course they can't. They don't know everything they're going to do in 2021. Like they want to tour, they want to do this stuff, but we don't know when it's going to be safe. And we're looking at summer in a best case scenario for anything to start settling in. So I don't think that I don't. 
I mean, I think if we're lucky, we maybe get October General Conference in person in some capacity, like with the choir singing and people in the conference center spaced out. Maybe. That's a huge maybe, though. So I don't expect the choir to uh, show up anytime soon. But that's not to say you're not going to get the Tabernacle Choir in other capacities, whether it's recordings or new videos or any number of, uh, of wonderful Wonderful, wonderful things. Also, real quick, the church has joined with Convoys of Hope to deliver uh, meals. Over 30 million meals. Convoys of Hope is a humanitarian organization that helps uh, basically abuse children. So it's wonderful that they're doing this uh, to help with that need. And likewise, they're also, they've also been delivering food to Native American tribes, one of which is pretty much near where you are right now, Kurt. Fort Hall Reservation? You're kind of right, yep, up, that's right up in that. Just down the right? street. Yeah. So a truck delivered 40,000 pounds of food to an LDS meeting house on the Fort Hall Reservation last week and elsewhere. So it's nice that we're involved with the community and helping others who might be struggling more to help themselves at present. Awesome. Do you want me to hit one of these, Jeff? The Hit whatever you want. Hit 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 whatever uh, you want. You, you wanted to make sure we didn't miss the drama in the Ogden, uh, drama in Ogden <laughs> on on road renaming, I know little about this, but uh, the effort to name a section of West 2nd Street after the LDS pioneer settlers who lived there nearly two centuries ago has hit an unexpected bump in the road. During the latter Hey-o. part of 2020, uh, Anna Koig, a historian who lives in the northwest section of Ogden in a nearly 100-year-old home that is surrounded by one of Weber County's oldest farms, petitioned Ogden City to name a portion of 2nd Street Bingham Fort Lane. And get, I guess, Jeff, the, the residents were not having it or fill us in on the rest of this. Uh, it's not uncommon to do. It's an honorary street name. That's the thing. And you might have seen this. You ever been on the freeway, you know, and it, one section of it oh, says yeah. like, you know, the so-and-so Memorial Highway or something. It's not like you, that's the official new name of the freeway. It's just this, an honorary designation for a portion of it. Uh, apparently, this is not uncommon in Ogden. They also have... Uh, recognized St. Joseph, Ogden, and Ben Lomond High Schools. In 2018, the city approved a measure that renamed extended portions of 24th and 30th Streets after Martin Luther King Jr. and Cesar Chavez, respectively. Very progressive of them. So they want to do this thing, but the issue here is uh, the directors of the Diversity Commission are wondering whether instead they should discuss whether to name it after the original Native American tribes who inhabited the area. And maybe they should, you know, name it after after them because – and also because the military encampments at this Bingham Fort were sort of a negative to the locals at the time. And so is this an insensitive way of sort of dredging back up the past uh, in a way that could be offensive to certain groups? And why? so why should we – why should we recognize them? Let's name it after the, you know, Shoshone Nation or something like that. Let's just do that. Let's party. Let's give it somebody else's name. Let's call it and Little Soldier. This Soldierette. is why, Jeff, you want you have a dream of being a, a, a city mayor in Utah to deal with these types of stuff. Not in Utah. The main reason I don't ever want to be a mayor in Utah is I'm I actually would love someone to tell me the history of this, Utahns, if you know, because Utah flips around city names and the way and the structure of them. What I mean is, and I like to think because growing up in Southern California, we set the standard for everything, right? Of course we do. So I grew up in the city in a city called Placentia, which you can save your jokes for later, but Anywhere you look, it's the city of Placentia, the city of Fullerton, the city of Los Angeles, the city of San Diego, right? But in Utah, it's all every single city in Utah just goes by Provo City. You see that? It's not the city of Provo. It's not the city of Orange. It's not the city of Ogden. It's Ogden City. 
Taylorsville City, Midvale City. I mean, obviously, we don't think much of it because you're Salt Lake City, and that has a nice flow West to it. West Valley City, called- Jeff, my hometown. West Valley City, West Valley City, of course. And, that, and those kind of make sense when you hear them. And I think that might be because Salt Lake City and West Valley City lean on the city as part of the name by which they're known. I mean, I don't know if growing up in West Valley City, people would just call it West Valley or not. But And people do say go to Salt Lake. But I, like, if you look on a map, Salt Lake City will be on the map, whereas right above it, it won't say Bountiful City above it or Woods Cross City or anything like that. Um, I just want to know what the history of that is. I just don't understand it. I thought it was the goofiest thing in the world when I lived Jeff, in Utah I've been, for college. I've been naive to this thing up until this point. Because you see, are you're helping not, me you're remove not my Utah goggles. You're What's not that? pedantic enough. You're not pedantic enough. You need to be more pedantic and you too can have this joy where you care about things that don't matter. Um, I just I want to know what the history of that is. Why didn't they call it the city of the Great Salt Lake or the city of Salt Lake? It's, does it stem from Salt Lake being the first settlement and they just called it Salt Lake City? I don't know. I have no idea. Did they call Nauvoo, Nauvoo City or was it the city of Nauvoo at the time? Is it a... I just... And I, I'm trying to think if there's other parts of the country that do that as extensively as Utah does, where it's kind of flipped around in that sense. I'm not entirely sure. This sounds so, like uh, a twim I, article you need to write. I enjoy municipal politics a great deal, Kurt. I think they're far more interesting than national politics. If you want to hear a great story here in our waning moments... Many years ago, before my mission, I wrote a. Uh, this is a joke. I wish I had a copy of all this. I don't. I wrote it like on AOL or something at the time. I sent an email. So my city, Placentia, and if Southern California, right? It's just a bunch. It's a concrete jungle. It's a bunch of different cities that, like, you don't know what city you're in half the time, but the cities know which city you're in, right? It's just a big mess of development. Um, but Placentia is south of Brea, west of Yorba next to Fullerton, above Anaheim, and. Uh, we share a border with Fullerton, but the border with Fullerton to the west, it zooms in and out of areas that you don't think seem like you're in another city because there's a major freeway. The 57 freeway runs right next to it. And kind of culturally, you think of Fullerton being on the west side of the freeway and Placentia being on the right side of the freeway. However, Fullerton encroaches on the other side because it predated the freeway, all sorts of stuff. The point is you go to places even near my house where I grew up, like the, the Ralph's Shopping Center, the Kroger is actually in Fullerton, even though like my whole life you drive up there and you're like, no, we're like in Placentia, like we're just shopping in our town. But no, you're in the other city. The target is in Fullerton. Everything that matters is in Fullerton or everything that makes money from property and sales taxes in Fullerton. Placentia, on the other hand, is largely a bedroom community bereft of much in the way of commercial or industrial development. And that's another issue for another time. So sort of for funsies, I wrote a letter to the city manager demanding that Fullerton seed this territory to Placentia. Because I was like, it is culturally Placentian. It is not part of Fullerton. No one there thinks it's in Fullerton. Give this to us. And I wrote it like this really, this ridiculous over-the-top language. Like, I demand you do this, sir. This is a moral imperative. You must you must seed this territory or face war, Mr. Man. How old were you, That's how I, I was 19. And I said, you must do this. And uh, the great thing is the mayor, the city manager responded directly to me. I so wish I had a copy of this today, but it's John in some lost inbox. And it was just like, Mr. Openshaw. It was no, it was like, after reviewing the matter, let me assure you, the city of Fullerton has no intention of ceding any of our territory to the city of Placentia. And I was just like, this is madness, sir. How dare you? How, how dare you? How dare you deny us a commercial base? It's not enough that you already have two universities in your city. We have nothing. We are poor placentia. We're always bankrupt. Help us. He didn't care. I was just very proud of myself for sending that email. I should do it again to see what happens. <laughs> just, just revisit the issue 20, 20 years later. 
Anyway, so that was fun. Uh, as far as anything else related to Twim, I don't know what else I have this week, folks. Bunch of uh, Burgess Owens is special. Kurt loves him. I don't. So we'll leave it at that and let you live in mystery. And uh, there's a good article about there. Nice little article about the impact of Latter-day Saints in Las Vegas. Uh, if you're not familiar, Latter-day Saints comprise a sizable portion of the of the Las Vegas metropolitan area. And we have a, a, actually a lot to play in the history of Las Vegas, more than you might think. So that's a fun little readout of what happened there. Uh I don't know if you want to touch on the 12-step program one, Kurt, because you cared about it, but we never got to it. But well, if not, I'm glad it's there. And if if you are in the midst of an addiction, uh, you should check it out. It's helped a lot of people okay. save their lives. That's all I'll it's say. Very good. And a, histori- a historian described the ex- extermination order against the saints in Missouri in 1838, one of the, quote, saddest moments of Missouri history. So didn't Missouri only formally apologize within the past, like, 15 years? Yeah, was it this? Was it the seven? No, the seventies is when it was rescinded, right? Or yeah, something like that. <laughs> you can't live here right now, Latter Day Saints. It's not allowed. You can't come back. Right. You want to go down another rabbit hole? Look at the laws in your states that are compl- existing laws that aren't enforced. That's a whole fun thing that you should find out about. Like I think in California, it's still illegal for women to go to bars on Sunday. Wow. Yeah. Well, as they Look shouldn't. Up. Nor should that's man. how you spend your time. You see. Utahns, you folks in Utah, waste your time getting into debates about whether or not alcohol should be visible from your seats in a restaurant or hidden behind some sort of curtain, which is the most hilarious waste of time I've ever seen as an outsider. And it kills me that the church weighs in on it. I know we've talked about it on the show before, but like of all the things, of all the moral issues for the church to weigh in on, I'm always like, why are they getting into it about the, the, the booze curtain in Utah? I mean... They even made like an infographic video thing. I remember this animation about it. We're digressing. So, Kurt, it's been wonderful. It's because it's late. It's 10, it's 10 p.m. here on the East Coast, and I am tired. And Let's get you to bed, Jeff. It's time Let's all tuck you in. for us to, to go. Uh, we want to thank my wife, Danielle, for making this podcast possible. Honey, yes. you, are my, you are my everything. And you're, you're also my honey, Kurt. Yes, you are. Uh, and until then, everybody, we hope you have a tremendous week. Kurt, I hope you continue to do well. I hope next time we chat on this show, you are in the new house and yes. can tell us what it's like to be in new construction. That's exciting. I'm coming for you, Stansbury Park. I mean, no one's ever lived in a place. You're going to live somewhere where no one else has lived before. Isn't that weird? I know. I know. It's awesome. going to be all me. My that's smell a, and everything. A, that That's what we're all hoping for. So I appreciate you, Kurt. Nice of you to spend Thanks, time Jeff. with us this week. And uh, ever, please visit Kurt, of course, at leadingsaints.org, where you can learn incredible things about ideas uh, for leadership within the church, whatever your calling may be. It can be wide, hugely beneficial. It has been for me in different callings I've had over the years, though I do think you could use more Ward Executive Secretary content. Kurt, okay? It could help us. You got it. The How I Lead episode with Jeff is coming up. We should do that. We should do that. Can we also do an episode about uh, shadow clerks? Because that's a thing I've decided. You have a, a shadow, shadow clerk in your a board? shadow a shadow clerk is a situation where there's someone who's not called to be ward clerk, but your bishop leans on that person to implement X, Y, and Z of technology things. He's and the they only one that knows have that no authority to do so. This this happens, I think, more than we realize, and shadow clerks are a real thing, and we have to get rid of them. Kill the shadow clerks. Get rid of them all. So folks, have a great week. Please do all the things I said in the beginning of the episode. Please continue to spend time with us. We can't do the show without you, and we thank you for taking the time to listen in. Until that time that we meet again, may you be well, 
Be holy and be happy. Oh.